Hey everybody, I just want to give you a heads up before we get into this episode. We discuss some very mature subjects that are not suitable for little ears, so you may want to keep that in mind before you continue playing this episode. Again, there are some adult themes in this interview. Welcome to What Were You Thinking, the podcast that goes beyond the pages of the books we love. There's a point in a writer's process when the pondering of what if becomes the whisper of a new novel. Every writer has that moment, the moment when the page springs to life and becomes a living, breathing entity. In this podcast, I'll chat with some fellow authors, discovering the aha moments, their writing process, and how the world around them impacted what they wrote. This is What Were You Thinking? A podcast about authors and their stories. Today, I'm talking with Heather Levy, author of Walking Through Needles. I can tell you without a doubt that this is a hell of a debut novel. You will absolutely remember where you were when you read the very first chapter of this book. And without disclosing too much about this novel, it occurred to me as I was researching Heather that my search history uh, might trigger some investigation by authorities. This is a wonderfully colorful conversation. We talk about everything from forbidden desires to family secrets to BDSM and how Heather was able to infuse some of her real life experience into walking through needles. Now let's get started. Holy (laughs) shit, there's a lot to unpack in this book. (laughs) Yes, there is. Walking through needles. This book shook me (laughs) on on so many levels the writing is gorgeous the characters are strangely relatable (laughs) especially given what what Sam goes through I was kind of surprised how easily I connected to her I don't know what that says about me. That that actually makes me so happy because you would not believe how many people were like I love Eric and Eric this and and they they couldn't relate to Sam and I'm sure a heck of a lot of it has to do with her sexuality of course and some of the choices that she makes in the book uh but yeah like that that makes me really happy to hear someone say that because I I think you're one of the first people who who has said that to me yay she's just a teenager trying to figure shit out yeah she's you know just like we've all been through as teens, like you don't know what you like or dislike. And then some things you just innately fall into. uh, And, you know, sexuality is part of that coming from a person who is a masochist. I'm pretty open about it. I don't always discuss it publicly, but like that really does happen. You know, people really do develop those um, proclivities uh, early on sometimes. And there, and it doesn't necessarily mean that there's any trigger for it. There's no necessarily a rhyme or reason. In my case, it just was something that I knew that I liked from an early age. So I read two pieces in Nailed. Just a quick aside. 
Nailed Magazine is an online magazine filled with poetry, visuals, prose created by people from all walks of life. On their website, they say Nailed was founded on five defining adjectives that we strive to reflect in the content we publish. Artful, passionate, raw, challenging, and intelligent. Heather's had a couple of pieces published on the website. They are very candid. They are definitely raw. And I highly recommend that you seek out the article she wrote about her experience with rheumatoid arthritis and uh, BDSM and how the pain from the two collide, but yet are very separate. It was brilliant writing. I'll throw the link to the article in the show notes. But the 20 year lie. Yes. <laughs> so this, this piece, so it was the story of the, of your first time. Now, was yes. that your first time having sex or was that your first time with BDSM or both? Um, that, that actually was not, it did not deal at all with BDSM. Um, my first time, but yes, it was about my first time having sex and, and it really, it really was one of those pieces that I, I, I had a, a lot of difficulty writing about because my view of that first time has changed so much since I was a teenager even. And I, and I think it, you know, that piece kind of talked about that, you know, I used to look at it as, well, wow, you know, it really was like kind of a magical thing, right? Some older guy takes you to a hotel and, and me coming from like, you also have to kind of know a little bit about my background with that. I grew up really poor. Um, we were actually homeless at one point in my family. And so somebody showing me that kind of attention, I really thought that this person cared for me. And I, and I thought, wow, they're taking, you know, this time to make my, my, my first time to be special. That's what I thought after the fact in the moment when I'm being taken up to a hotel and I'm thinking that it's going to be this like surprise birthday party for me. And then it's like, Oh, Oh, (laughs) this is what is expected of me. And that wasn't right. I, I, that should not have been my experience. It wasn't a non-consensual situation, but it wasn't fully consensual situation. It was kind of like, this doesn't feel right, but I feel like I need to do it. He just paid for a dinner and, and it wasn't even like a fancy dinner. Like we went to the Chili's across the street, but it was, it was more than what I had experienced in my life coming from the background that I did. The, the lie that I told myself for all that time, having sex for the first time was that it was a magical experience. It was this special moment in my life that compared to a lot of my friends who talked about their first time having sex, it it seemed pretty perfect. You know, you're taken to a room, you've got strawberries, you've got champagne. I had just turned 17. Emotionally, I was, I was not ready. I just, I I was not there. And I, and I realized I I fed myself that lie. And I think I, I needed to do that. So that way I could kind of push forward in, in my life and not be stuck in that moment of not feeling like I had full control over my sexuality. Cause up until that point I, I had with myself, cause of course you always have full control when it's with yourself. Right. That's why I'm a big believer in teaching our kids, especially, especially our girls 
that it's okay to masturbate. We know from the very first pages of Walking Through Needles. Like the first paragraphs, right? Pretty much, right? (laughs) Everybody will remember where they were when they read those first few lines of Walking Through Needles. My reaction was so visceral, like, what is happening here? Like, what... What is, what? She's not really starting the book like this. She's, this is not really how it's going. As I had started writing this book during my MFA, after I graduated in 2017, my, my mom had, had, she ended up being diagnosed with terminal brain cancer that year. And she passed like that year, like not, not too long after I had graduated. And I went through just a year of doing nothing with the book. Um, And then I picked it up. And I started querying it. Actually, my agent didn't even, she, she, she had rejected my query originally the first time I was querying it. I ended up getting, I started doing pitch wars. Okay, pardon the interruption, but I need to explain pitch wars. Pitch wars is this really cool thing for new and emerging authors where they can connect with mentors who are other published authors or agents or editors or other people in the book publishing industry. So they connect with these people who help them make their manuscripts better. The second part of Pitch Wars takes place on Twitter in an event called hashtag PitMad, where authors spend their 240 characters pitching their manuscripts like their lives depend on it with the ultimate goal of finding an agent or a publishing company who wants to pick up your book. It's really fun and interesting as an author to watch the action on that day. It can be a great motivator. And as a side note, in an upcoming episode, you're going to hear from an author who wrote an entire novel in 12 days to make that Pitch Wars deadline. I just happened to pick up on Pitch Wars, got with uh, Lane Fargo and Haley Sutton were my Pitch Wars mentors. And they just kind of told me about revision because I thought I had been revising, but I, what I realized I was not actually revising. Uh, we just, that, that book was just torn to pieces. The very first chapter, as it is with most writers, is just a bitch. It's a bitch. And to get it, those, especially those first five pages, like to get that to where you need it to be for when you're querying, because, you know, half the time they're only asking for the first five pages or 10 pages. I, I knew something was not clicking and I didn't realize <laughs> until I was talking with Lane and Haley that that first chapter was, was sticking pretty hard with them too. They were like this, you know, it's a beautiful chapter, but it didn't really sit right. And, and they were like, you know, I don't know where it needs to start. And so I just threw it out there. I'm like, you know, my first draft that I ever did of this book, she was masturbating in the very first scene. And, and they just kind of, we're on a Zoom call and they just kind of like looked at each other and looked at me like, yes, <laughs> yes, that's exactly, yeah, but do that. And, and that's how that came to be. And I was like, yes, this is where it needs to start because the reader really needs to know right from the get-go that this, this sexuality is hers. Before anybody comes in and tries to mess with it or manipulate it, it's hers first. Yeah, and I think it was so refreshing to have a character who didn't treat abuse from the vantage point of a victim. Yeah. There's no question that Sam is is in charge here. And it's going to yeah. make some readers uncomfortable. Yes, it, it will. And 
she, well, she was in charge, right? She was in charge until she wasn't. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're not going to say anything else about yeah. that, I guess. But um, I wanted to make it clear that point, which you know, which point that power uh, shifts from her. But even after that, there's still some power shifting too. Because she tries, she tries to have as much power as she can in the dynamic that she's in with BDSM in particular, uh, that power dynamic is really even more important than the sexual part of it. They get off on the app, that, that power shift, you know, the give and the take. Let's, let's talk about the, uh, the BDSM and how you discovered that this was something that you enjoyed. Cause you've obviously carried that into the novel. Okay, are you ready to go to BDSM school? I'm not going to give you too much detail, but basically BDSM applies to certain aspects of sex that can split into major groups of bondage and discipline, domination and submission, sadism and masochism. All those aspects of BDSM typically fall into the category of kink. And as Heather already mentioned, it's not necessarily just about sex and sometimes sex doesn't even happen it's just about playing and having fun the very first line of the book is kind of a nod to something that i used to do to myself which uh was i read that (laughs) like you know using my uh, a baby blanket which i still have it's tucked away somewhere protected (laughs) i really did and i would wrap it around my neck um whenever i would masturbate and it just uh, uh, like it just kind of naturally developed. I, I would usually put, I still to this day have like put blankets around my head and like kind of get cozy. I felt some pressure against my neck from how I had the blanket. And I really liked that. And then I ended up eventually just like twisting it around my neck completely. And not, not to the point of ever like passing out, not, not like, not to the extreme probably that Sam does. Um, but enough to feel like, like I was a little bit out of control and that's what I liked. And then it wasn't until quite later that I did anything with a partner, my husband, you know, he was the first person who really allowed me to delve into that fully. I did not have the same kind of experiences that Sam had that, that she, that that's described in the book where she put herself into some pretty dangerous situations at times. I, I, I learned a lot from going to some local, there, there's a, there was a, a great local play dungeon here. I know that sounds kind of crazy, like a dungeon, <laughs> but we'll just say play space. It's a play space. Right. And I, I got to see like firsthand how serious people take it as they should. I mean, there was no drinking, no, you know, you could not, if you even appeared like you were using drugs, like you were knocked out, you had to sign paperwork, make sure you were safe. Uh, people were there. They, they had uh, people kind of monitoring things and making sure that people were being safe and they would stop you. Actually, I had had, we had an experience where my husband was stopped. That monitor was, was concerned that maybe I was, a, I was a little disassociative. And my husband was still learning. He's not a natural sadist. Uh, I think that over the years, he has grown to really love 
like certain aspects of BDSM. It's fascinating to me that the community is so conscious of watching out for each other. It's like a like having yeah. a spotter at the gym. Right? Yes. It's just and I it love really I love that you're you you speak about it like it's as normal as washing the dishes after dinner. Yes. And it and I'll tell you, it was difficult. The first time I ever wrote about it, the piece was run through a site that uh, was is a local place and and a lot of people saw it. Um it, it kind of picked up speed. And I got a lot of messages, private messages from uh, my kids' friends' parents who I were, you know, I was like, you know, parent friends. And you're shaking up the PTA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We got a lot of looks after that. And especially my husband, because he's like such a, he's like the nicest person and really laid back. They just, they could not reconcile that when they would look at him. You know, people who are searching out pain for the pleasure of it or, you know, the thrill of it it's really not unusual at all. Like there, if you think about it, there are, you probably are doing something within your own life. If you like eating really, really spicy food until the point where you're like crying, that's a certain aspect of pain that somebody likes. You talk about pain and that's, that leads me nicely to having you explain the difference between pain from your rheumatoid arthritis and pain through BDSM. The biggest difference is that I don't have control over my chronic pain. That is something that is just always there. And to be able to choose what kind of pain I want to receive, it is empowering. It makes some kind of shift in my mind that leads to pleasure. It's the only time that I can really escape my body. It was just a beautiful experience to be able to find that again, because it took me a long time to find that again. So do you remember what it was that triggered that what if thought that led to starting to write Walking Through Needles? That first thought came about whenever that somebody had had asked me about my my experiences. And the first thing that they had asked me was like, were you abused? Did you did you experience, um, you know, like some kind of sexual assault? Is that why you're into this? And, and I just found that so intriguing that people just immediately go to that. And so that triggered the thought of, you know, why don't I write something that kind of explores that, the idea of, of, uh, budding sexuality, especially for someone who's into kinky stuff. And then play into consent. Like what if somebody manipulates somebody's natural sexuality for their own needs? What part of the book was the most challenging for you to write? Oh gosh, come on now. You know which part that was. I mean, I don't think that there's any surprise that there is. Um, you know, I'm not giving away probably anything by saying that, that, that there is a sexual assault in this book or it, there are, there is sexual assault in this book. Um, that, that scene, the very first time when that happens, that was a very, I rewrote that scene so many times. I can even tell you, I mean, it's hard to write something like that without, uh, knowing full well that it's, it's going to hit hard for people, especially for some people who have experienced that. And I mean, you're hard pressed to find any woman who hasn't had some type of sexual assault experience. So I was very aware of that. And, 
and I wanted to to make sure that they could, you know, the reader could see that switch of the power um, very clearly. For me, that was as um, difficult as the rape itself, like her having her power taken away, because we, you know, we know people who have experienced that. Like that's that's the hardest thing. Yeah, you're you're right about there's probably not a woman on the planet that hasn't experienced some form of coercion or manipulation, Mm -hmm. whether that's in a relationship professionally on the playground, it just, it it happens and continues to happen. But I feel that you, the way that you wrote it didn't leave me feeling any trauma. Which character do you feel most emotionally attached to? You know, I toggle a lot between Sam and Eric, as, as writers, we always put a piece of ourselves out there, right? With the characters. Sam is a stubborn person. She's a strong person. She's creative. She's a hard, she's a hard nut to crack, right? A lot of people probably aren't going to relate to her, not necessarily because of her uh, sexuality, but because she, she is so stubborn uh, about certain things and, and can, it can come across as being hard and cold. And I've had that said to me before. Eric, on the other hand, is that kind of part of me. He kind of represents that part of me that um, is the vulnerable part. So whenever I do open up to people and let them know certain aspects of, of my life, he kind of represents that, that softness. Like he's, I, I, I really wanted to kind of flip those roles. And I do that a lot with the, with the characters that I write. It seems like a lot, a lot of the women are the, you know, quote unquote masculine energy. Right. And the men kind of have a, you know, more feminine energy. (laughs) It's just their personalities, but I just, I do happen to write strong women, you know, men experience sexual trauma too. And, and Eric, did experience, you know, his own kind of trauma. The fact that he was still open to having uh, love in his life was was something that I wanted to counter with Sam's uh, response to the trauma in her life, which was to close herself off even more. When did you realize you wanted to be a writer or that you could be a writer? Oh, gosh. You know... I was very young whenever I was first writing stories. And uh, I think the first time that I, I really thought that maybe I could be a writer was in high school. And I had, we had like our first creative writing class in high school. And a part of that first creative writing class, we developed a creative writing club and I was the president the first year. But yeah, that was the first time that I thought maybe I could make a living off of this. Of course, later I was like, oh yeah, I need like a real job. <laughs> I did make a living off of writing though for, for quite a while. I was doing a, um, a blog, a wedding blog. <laughs> After going through a divorce, I did a wedding blog uh, for AOL. That t- that's how old I am. <laughs> so I was working for AOL and that was how I was getting by was I had to write all these wedding blogs and 
you know, wedding favors and denim wedding dresses that got a ton <laughs> of hits. So I, yes, I did make money off of it, but now that I'm a government worker cog <laughs> and like, like, you know, I have to have insurance and stuff. Those are those, those life things that you, it's hard to do as a writer um, until you get to a certain point, but maybe this is the beginning of that point. So that's, that's my hope. My hope is that yes, I will be able to stop the day job and do this full time because it is so hard to write a book when you have two kids and a full-time job and an old house that's constantly needing things to be fixed. So, I mean, just like everybody, everybody, you know, there are so many writers who are in that boat. What do you love about being a writer? Oh, it's kind of um, almost, I know this is going to be a weird comparison, but it's almost like subspace whenever I'm experiencing pain I kind of go into this other realm in my mind and I just I completely zone out (laughs) and I'm sure I look insane whenever I'm writing out in public now that I can write in public again probably look really insane when people see me just talking to myself because I do speak the dialogue as I'm writing it I'll whisper it and I mean, who doesn't do that? I'm sure everybody does that, right? Yeah, I think um. there's, a, there's a few things that writers do. We talk, to, we talk out loud to ourselves. Yes. Um, we, we scrunch up our faces so that we can adequately describe yes. how it feels and how it looks. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's how writers do. I mean, it's hard. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. You've got to like think of like how many times can you describe the same thing? over and over again like you have to mix it up what do you find most challenging about being a writer people misunderstanding intent I think with this particular book that's going to be uh or has already proven to be kind of a little bit of an issue with with uh, some readers like it's hard what do you hope readers take away from walking through needles I hope that they uh leave with a sense of of hope, you know, if you experience trauma and I, and I have myself, um, you can find that part of you that is the strong part that can move forward. And I think that's one of the biggest things when you've experienced trauma and you, you, you do close yourself off, you know, it's a protective mechanism. I I think that there's a certain point in your life where you can either keep doing that and live a really sad lonely life, or you can give yourself the grace to experience the love that you deserve. And that's what I hope people will, will get from reading this book that it's, it's not the end for you. If you experience something like this, like you can move forward, you can be successful. Um, <laughs> look, can I talk, can we talk about pitch wars? Yeah. Cause what was that like? There was a yeah. lot of requests for manuscript. Yes, I did. Surprisingly, I mean, I was surprised. But yeah, Pitch Wars was insane. I just did it. Like, you know, you have those feelings. You have that feelings like, ooh, this is the thing that's going to probably change my life. Like, it was that kismet thing. And so (laughs) I submitted. And uh, Haley and Lane were two of the people that I had submitted to. Because you could submit up to four uh, agents or not agents, I'm sorry, up to four mentors, like writing mentors for pitch wars. And I really, really was hoping that they would select me. Like 
they were into dark things. They were one of they were one of the few mentors who was open to anything dealing with sexual assault because a lot of people were not. So I basically went through and picked like the four that I thought I would have any chance at. It was just the most exciting moment because I I just knew that I was kind of I was entering a roller coaster and I didn't know when I was going to get off of it and it really was. Um, it was two months of the most intense revising I've ever experienced in my life. So it really changes your perspective on the revision process and just, uh, you know, how you look at the process of writing. I learned a lot about craft. Thank you so much for your time today. We, it's been a real pleasure talking to you about everything about writing and your life and your craft. And I wish you nothing but the biggest success with this book and look forward to reading more of your writing. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. It was so great talking with you. Thanks for joining me on What Were You Thinking? You can get Walking Through Needles wherever books are sold. If you want to connect with Heather, you can find her over on Twitter. Her handle is at Heather L. Levy. To listen to more episodes or to have a peek at my own books, Murder on My Mind and The Girl in the Gold Bikini, visit my website, danagoldstein.ca. Okay, you stuck around for a few extra seconds. Yay, you! Now you'll get to hear Heather share something not a lot of people know about her. Tell me something not a lot of people know about you. Which is kind of funny because you put it all out there. Oh, God. Um, well, here's something. It's probably related to anxiety uh, whenever I was younger. I used to, and now I can't think of the name of it. It's, there's an, it's an actual con- medical condition. Um, I used to rip out my eyelashes. I, I used to do that. It was a nervous tick that I would do. And I would just rip them out, but I would wear really, really thick liquid eyeliner to to cover up the fact that I didn't have eyelashes. And I really thought that I was fooling people, but I was not, (laughs) I was not, (laughs) I don't do, I haven't done that since I was a teenager, but yes, that's that's something I really don't, I never talk about that. (laughs) It's embarrassing. Wow. (laughs) Um, Thank you for sharing that. (laughs)